The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about the show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, I'll be talking about a new growth in retail uh, segment that's called Rent Attire with LA Times writer Ken Binsinger. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson. He'll join us from the other side of Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the blogger behind FieldSchemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, What's that? How are you? Oh, pretty good. It's uh, kind of a chilly morning, and uh, I feel extravagant, so that's great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, 24 DePaul professors have stood up this week by saying uh, that Chicago's uh, Rahm Emanuel, the mayor, uh, his big idea of building a new basketball arena for a private school is a bad idea, stating that a new arena is, quote, wildly out of line with other university priorities. Even a member of the basketball team signed a campus petition against the mayor's plan. Has anyone figured out why Rom wants to build this arena? Is it a favor to a high donor on his campaign that just happens to sit on the DePaul board of directors, perhaps? Um, you know, I don't think anybody found anyone has found anything like that. It, it seems more like it's one of those, um, you know, killing two birds that didn't really need to be killed with one stone <laughs> thing. Um, you know, he, they've got this this big uh, sort of convention complex that they want to do something with and they want to expand it and they don't really have a good plan for how to expand it in any way that would make any sense so DePaul is sort of sniffing around and saying oh we we could use a new 12,000 seat arena and I'm sure somebody in the mayor's office decided oh this is the perfect solution you know we build an arena for DePaul and that'll enable us to expand conventions at McCormick Place and build a hotel, and it'll all be synergy, synergy. Um, and, you know, it doesn't make any sense, and I think everyone in Chicago realizes it doesn't make any sense um, because DePaul doesn't really need an arena all to its own, and there are a million better things that both the city and the university could be doing with their money than this. Um, but, you know, as we've seen before too many times, making sense is often not the criterion for these deals you know it's more can somebody claim that this is economic development um, I mean I think it seems like there's substantial opposition to this in Chicago right now and it's possible it won't go through but you know it will sort of be a test of can the mayor of Chicago really do anything that he wants as has been tradition or does pushback actually force him to stop something like this? A few things. I haven't heard the word synergy since maybe the early 2000s in business press, so the congratulations on that. Um, so is the Paul uh, Arena, um, as it is now, a lot like Anaheim Arena, where it's a convention center that's attached with an arena? Well, there is no arena there right now. Oh, so there is no arena If we add it to a 12,000-seat arena, then totally people will want to hold conventions there, even though they don't now. Oh, um, okay. And, you know, I mean... There's a great uh, University of Texas professor named Haywood Sanders who like, looks at convention centers the same way that I look at stadiums. Um, and he has established without a shadow of a doubt that it is almost never a good idea to put lots of money into convention centers because right now there are you know, many, many times more modern convention centers in the country than there are conventions to be held there. 
Um, so, you know, people will pay money to go to, like, Vegas or maybe New Orleans or someplace like that for a convention because they actually want to be in the city. But if you're Chicago or Boston or any place else like that, you know, you end up putting all this money into a convention center, and then you wind up having to offer conventions these cut-rate deals in order to just fill up this convention center that you wound up building, and you wind up losing money on the deal all over again. It's, it's just you know, another horrible scam. So combining a convention center deal with a stadium <laughs> with an arena deal is just, you know, doubling down on bad. Yeah, yeah. And I think the number of conventions have gone down quite a bit as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. the conventions have gone down and convention centers have gone up, the amount of space available. So it's, you know, just an absolute buyer's market and has been really for 10 or 15 years now. But mayors don't seem to be catching on. Yeah, that's sad. Um, this week we learned it's not just professional leagues that can saddle the public with all the costs of running a sports complex. Uh, a private school can do it, too. Uh, looking at USC, the woefully incompetent Coliseum Commission agreed to a gag rule in their talks with USC, and we learned a lot about the 98-year lease this week. How bad of a deal is this for LA taxpayers? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen enough of to really say where to compare it with, uh, with other things. You know, again, it's, it's one of these situations where it seems like, um, if you're, whether you're a, a private school or a team or whatever, um, it's way too easy to say to a city, hey, we know what we're doing, hand over this stadium and everything that goes with it to us. And, you know, we'll, we'll be able to manage it better than you can, which may be true. You know, I'm sure that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, again, schools or teams are better able to manage places just because they have more experience. But there's nothing stopping a city from just going out and hiring an arena manager, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and keeping the revenues for themselves. I think that's the problem here is that, you know, it's not should USC get control of the Coliseum, it's what are the terms um, that they're doing it on, and that's, and that's what we have to start to worry. Yeah, and one of the things that's frustrating is the Coliseum Commission's kind of shooting themselves in the foot when they kicked out the electric uh, daisy carnival. One person died, they took, kicked out the whole thing, and, you know, people have died at rock concerts, and they're just kind of losing revenue from that, and they moved to Vegas. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of bad management that goes on, bad <laughs> that goes on around. and I, I really wish, I mean, you know, I really wish that, um, cities would get the idea that, okay, if you're going to be in the business of building and owning these buildings, um, you really need to, you know, treat them professionally, you know, and treat them like someone like a business and, you know, think about, okay, hiring professional uh, arena and stadium managers and, you know, thinking about uh, how you use this as an asset. Um, and if you're not going to do it, then just sell the things, you know, sell the things and put them back on the property tax rolls. Yeah, just sell it outright. Um, how can citizens of L.A. try to pry open the doors that to the closed meetings so they can have a say in the matter? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're seeing this everywhere else, too, right? We just had Glendale um, uh, reveal that it's been negotiating. The city council in Glendale, has been, Arizona, has been negotiating with the Phoenix Coyotes, prospective new owners, the latest guys who claim that they're going to try and buy this team. Um, without and, and they're doing it in, like, groups of two and three council members, <laughs> because if four or five council members got together at a time, it would violate the open meetings law. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of go at it that way. You know, you have to probably have, uh, have you know, lawsuits around open meetings laws and, you know, just try and publicly shame them through the press if the press, you know, there's still enough of a press around to be paying attention. 
Um, but it's hard, you know. I mean, this is the, the ever-present problem is that it's, you know, again, teams and, and uh, you know, stadium managers want to negotiate all this stuff behind closed doors. Um, and, you know, unless there's some consequences, it's way too easy for public officials to say, Okay, sure. Whatever works for you. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of incompetent, the Detroit Economic Growth Corp controls the site where Tiger Stadium once stood. MLB, I'm sorry, an MLB official said earlier in the week that the site could be a potential place to build a baseball academy, but the head of the Economic Growth Corporation uh, said Miller, the MLB official, had no money to make it happen, and it was just an all scam. Uh, why does George Jackson seem to be so hell-bent on not allowing baseball in any form to be played at the former site of Tiger Stadium? You know, I, I get the sense, and this is reading between the lines a little bit, I haven't talked to George Jackson, but I've been you know, watching him from afar for so long. My sense is that you know, he went through this years-long battle with the people who wanted to save Tiger Stadium, um, and who kept coming up with proposal after proposal for ways to, um, you know, re to keep it and then renovate it as a smaller stadium and you know knock down part of it to keep the really historic uh, 1912 part. That didn't fly. Now they're you know out there mowing the lawns and keeping the the diamond maintained and playing softball on it. And my sense is that sometime years ago. Jackson just got it in his head. These guys don't understand economic development. They want to play baseball there. Well, screw them. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just not going to allow anything having to do with baseball if he can help it because he just sees that as, you know, a defeat for whatever his vision is of some sort of weird development there. So, so yeah, so now you've got Major League Baseball sort of saying, oh, you know, we could build a, a youth academy there. And who knows whether it would work. But it was just his, his you know, knee-jerk reaction was, no, that's crazy. You know, the same way that when General Motors offered a couple years ago to pay to maintain the field at Tiger Stadium so that, you know, um, people could continue to play baseball there. You know, he, he acted as if this was an affront. You know, we've got development plans for that. Never mind the fact that the Tigers moved out um, was it now, 99, right? Yeah. So that's 14 years ago, and still no one has come forward with any actual plans to develop the site. But, you know, that's really the way it's gone in Detroit. And, you know, if you talk to the folks there, they'll say, people here don't like preserving stuff. You know, they would rather have a vacant lot than an old building that could someday be, uh, be renovated. Um, and that's why when you go to Detroit today, you will drive around and you will see mostly vacant lots. Yeah. Because they have just made, you know, absolutely sure that they're going to tear down everything they possibly can, even if it's uh, historic structures and even if it's stuff that could be safe. Yeah, that's what doesn't make sense. It's empty lots and it's not like Detroit has, you know, they don't have, they have tons of empty lots and why can't you just make one site, a baseball field, to keep preserve where Tiger Stadium once stood? It was a yeah. historic building and to have it torn down, you know, is just... I mean, to me, you know, Jackson has his blood on his hands for tearing down such a historic structure. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, and there was no good reason to tear it down. You know, no. look at a place like Yankee Stadium. It got torn down because they needed to build a park to replace the park they got rid of for the new Yankee Stadium, right? So there was something at least they were going to put there. There was nothing they were ever going to put where Tiger Stadium is now. And, you know, even if they did at some point have, it hap- have a plan for it, you know, Jackson's argument was, well... You know, we can we can get more proposals for the land once it's vacant, as if people can't imagine what it will look like with nothing on it. <laughs> um, and you know, 
there was there's no reason that Tiger Stadium couldn't still be standing today, and you know they could probably use it for movie shoots. And people probably would be willing to rent it out. I mean, geez, probably I can imagine tons of people would have been willing to pay to go and play baseball actually in Tiger Stadium. You know? Oh yeah. Um, but nobody ever pursued that stuff. You know, again, the the folks with the you know who had originally started the Tiger Stadium fan club back in the '80s. We're still at it until recent years, and they still kept coming up with different proposals for, uh, you know, reuse of the site. Um, they had this Navin Field plan to try and, like I said, to try and knock down some of the outfield structure to make it a little cheaper to maintain and just keep the really historic part that had been there since 1912. And they were just dismissed out of hand, you know, um, yeah. because, like I said, the Detroit, I think the thing in Detroit is that the, the city of Detroit would rather do a bad idea that they came up with themselves <laughs> than <laughs> listen to somebody else's. Yeah, it would be a great venue for concerts, too, because there's no luxury boxes, so the, you're basically standing on top of the performer in most places. Oh, I mean, it was just such an amazing... I went there a bunch of times, and it was just an amazing place to see, um, you know, certainly baseball, but anything else. I mean, the the upper deck was so close to the action that it was like, you know, you were you were really like hanging on top of the batter and the pitcher, um, and it's a shame because you know that experience is pretty much lost now. You know, Fenway Park isn't like that; doesn't have a, a big upper deck. Um, Wrigley isn't that compact, despite you know um, being being small in other ways. Um, so you know, you really there's nowhere to go to have that experience that was the common you know commonality for most of the 20th century for baseball fans. Um, I mean, I guess you could rebuild Tiger Stadium. That would be, <laughs> it might be cheaper than some other things. <laughs> oh, it's totally. And, and the sad part, too, is it wasn't able to become a national park because at the end of Ken Burns' documentary, they showed how different people were activists to make certain parts of this country national parks, including uh, one of the um, I'm losing, oil barons. Um, they did the Grand Tetons. Uh, right. did a, and so, like, it's really too bad that was an, an avenue as well. Yeah, it was on the National Register of Historic Places, but that doesn't prevent it from, from destruction, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I was sort of aware of, but I've learned through the course of studying all the stadium stuff, is that, you know, landmarking laws and sort of historic preservation laws in this country are very, very weak and very haphazard, you know? So it's very difficult to preserve something unless the property owner really wants to preserve it. Um, and, you know, it winds up, we wind up losing a lot of, historic buildings in this country yeah. because of it. Um, but until something changes, it's going to be very, very difficult to, uh, to you know, just change. I mean, you know, it, it, again, it does happen some places. I mean, there were a lot of preservations involved in fighting to keep Fenway Park from getting destroyed, and they succeeded. So occasionally you see successes, but unfortunately, um, more often than not, um, you know, it's, you wind up years down the road with somebody saying, man, sure would have been a good idea if we kept Penn Station. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll leave off with a new question surrounding the NFL G4 fund. The NFL told the Dolphins G4 money was only available if the public money was available to help pay for renovations around the Dolphins stadium. Now, this week, Eagles owner Jeffrey Loria said he would be paying for the $125 million upgrade of his Lincoln financial field himself. And somehow the project will still get G4 money. Do we know the truth of how teams are eligible for G4 money, or is this kind of blurry still? It's blurry, you know. I mean, in the new, so in the old G3, right, first it was the old loan fund, which was, um, in that deal, there was no requirement for public involvement. In G4, which succeeded, they just basically ran out of money in the old pot, said, okay, let's, 
it's revamped the program a little bit. In G4, there's a clause saying that it has to be a public-private partnership. And I've talked to folks in Miami who said, yeah, we went to the NFL, and they said the only way that you can make this work and get NFL money is if you have a public contribution. So they were going around arguing, you know, we know that we're having to put in something towards this Dolphins renovation, and uh, we know it's controversial, but this is the only way we're going to be able to leverage this NFL money. And now the Eagles apparently are able to do it without, although we don't know. We haven't seen all of the details, so I don't know if they're really, you know, what they're really getting in G4 money. I don't know what they're really spending, although they say it's all private money. Um, but, you know, it's possible that they are, the NFL is saying, well, it's a publicly owned building, so that counts. You know, do we sort of retroactively count the money that the public spent, you know, years ago to build, uh, to build the stadium? Um, I have no idea, and I'm, I'm you know, waiting to hear back from the NFL on, uh, on that. Um, but uh, it's all very mysterious, as often things are with sort of internal league rules. Yeah. And, um, you know, anyone is welcome to go and read the G4 documents. I've posted them on my site a bunch of times. Um, and, you know, you can stare blankly at them as I have <laughs> and try to figure out what they mean, because, you know, I think... In part, it's that it's legalese, and in part, it's that it's written pretty vaguely because they, you know, leagues have a vested interest in trying to give themselves legal room to change the rules if they want to. Yeah. Well, let's hope they wheel out the commissioner bot this week and clear this one up. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Neil DeMoss, he runs a website, fillthescheme.com. He's the blogger behind that and the author of a book by the same name. Thanks for being on the show today, Neil. <laughs> Talk next week. Always Talk pleasure. to you next week. And then also, we're going to be having. Um, Ken Bensinger, the writer with the LA Times, and we'll be talking rent-a-tire.